Well, good morning. And also, happy New Year's Eve, right? Uh, we're not to New Year's quite yet. Uh, I hate to do this, but uh, with us gathered this morning, but I have to address a, a recent conspiracy against the office staff, myself included. The plan uh, to get rid of the staff, the means, uh, death by goodies. And so I just want you to know, uh, now I thank you so much, so many people over the past uh, several weeks have been dropping off goodies to us, uh, and we are so grateful. And you have made our New Year's resolutions so, so easy this year, right? Uh, but it, we have been so blessed by that, and uh, the staff wants to let you know how much we appreciate it, and we will fast until this time next year. Um, we find ourselves in, in our final message uh, in this series. For the past four weeks, we've been looking at that same single verse of Isaiah 9-6, where God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah spoke these words, for us, a child will be born. For us. And to us, a son will be given. To us. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We see in, in that passage, it opens up, and, we, and we've looked each and every week, but a child is born for us. We see in that Jesus' humanity, that, that he was born like all others. A son, then, would be given to us. We see in that Jesus' deity from God. And the government on his shoulders, we see Jesus' ultimate authority over all things. And he then, the one who is born for us, the son that is given to us, who, who carries the, all governments on his shoulders, he is named Wonderful. Wonderful. We're reminded that uh, there is no other pursuit in life that is necessary. And that's what we all do. Everyone is going through life trying to find life's meaning, life's, life's purpose, trying to, to fill those voids, the, those gaps, those missing things in our life with, with things that we can find in this world that are wonderful. Isaiah reminds us Jesus is wonderful. And that when we have Jesus, we have a wonderful life. He is wonderful. He is also counselor. Jesus is our guide in life. Jesus was the guide for all the disciples as he walked this earth. And then when he left, when he returned to the Father in heaven, as he went, he said, I, I leave with you a gift a deposit, a guarantee, and that is the Holy Spirit, which is our counselor today. He is wonderful. He is counselor. And friends, He is mighty. There is nothing too big in your life for Jesus. There is no sin, nothing that you have done that He can't forgive. There is nothing in your life that He can't overcome because He is mighty. And he is God. That great statement of the faith of Christianity, where so many others might talk about God being, uh, Jesus being a son of God, maybe even to him having some a divinity in his life. But as a Christian, we say, no, he is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one. He is God. And he is is eternal. 
You know, our life, everyone in this room, our life began at conception, not at birth, at conception. But that was not so for Jesus. For Jesus, in the very beginning, he was. And before the beginning, as we know it today, he was. Before there was the earth as we know it today, Jesus was. Jesus is eternal. And Jesus is Father. Yes, He is wonderful. Yes, He is counselor. He is mighty. He is God. He is eternal. And He also is Father. He desires to have a fatherly relationship with you. You know, there are some people in this room today who you were blessed in your life to have a, a godly, Christ-honoring Father that laid that groundwork and that foundation even in your life. There are others here today who did not have that father. Your father was not a godly man. Maybe your father uh, was not even there. Maybe you never met your father. There are even others who have shared testimony with me that they did know their father. And their father was an evil, a wicked person. In fact, they wish they had never known him. But there's one thing that we all find in common. Everyone in this world, in this walk through life, we all desire that, that relationship of a loving father. And Jesus says, I don't care what your earthly father was to you. I want to be your perfect, loving, heavenly father. We see the, the relationship. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is mighty. He is God. He is eternal. He is Father. And finally, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Those Hebrew words there are shalom, that word shalom that we know of so much, to be at peace. And you know, you, you think during this season, peace and the Christmas season really should be synonymous, shouldn't they? I mean, peace and Christmas should go hand in hand, right? And yet, we find the opposite to be true, do we not? I mean, Christmas brings out the crazy in everyone. Um, headlines this year blew my mind. I know you saw some of them too about families that were arguing and fighting and, I mean, uh, uh, bloodshed and everything else over Christmas presents and who would go where. It's unreal. And, and even in, in some of our homes, you know, as it comes Christmas time, we, it's a casserole burns, you know, it's just not going to be Christmas, right? Everything's crazy. Or if that uncle comes, you know, it's just going to go nuts, right? We, it's anything but peaceful. There is actually, uh, in Peru, in some of the remote villages there, they take Christmas crazy to a whole new level. And certainly Christmas fighting. There's a ceremony known as Taconiki. All right, did I, did I butcher it too bad? Taconiki, all right? Uh, basically, bare-knuckle fighting. And here's what they do in these remote villages throughout Peru. On Christmas Day, hundreds of residents gather together to take part in an ancient fighting ritual aimed at settling scores and resolving conflict before the year's end. That's how they ring in Christmas. They get all liquored up and just, you know, wear each other out. You know, and the whole idea is, okay, now we're good, right? A whole new level. And as crazy as that sounds, I, you know, the... More and more, I find where people today almost seem to have a, a greater desire for conflict than they do peace. Have you all recognized that? It's like they, they almost live for conflict. They would never admit it, and yet that seems to be where they live. 
People that, that, that they thrive when they're angry. And oh man, hey, when there's an object for that anger, for that, for that hatred or that outrage, it, like it, it invigorates them. You know, it, it's their, their life's mission just, just to be mad. Now, there's actually a term today. It was coined uh, several years ago, and it's so on point. Now, here's the term, outrage porn. Outrage porn. Let me, let me explain what that is. And you can look it up. Media that is written to provoke feelings of outrage. Media outlets, whether social media, printed media, the, the television, whatever it is, right, there is this new concept where they, do, they, they, they take the story and they bend it in such a way or spin it or, or, or share just certain angles or viewpoints of it and for one purpose, and that is to get you mad. They want you to be outraged. They feed on that because if they can get you angry, man, if they can get you tore up, if they can provoke that outrage in you, then they got you. They got your attention. They got your vote. They got your, your money. They got you. You know, you'll fill in the blanks, but they, they, they thrive on that. And we've got to recognize we live in a world where, where that's prevalent for us. They, they are throwing things at you for one reason, for one purpose, for, for one sole goal, and that is to get you mad, get you angry, to find that place of outrage. And yet Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. See, believers, we're called to strive for peace. That's what we're called to do. And the truth is, we're without excuse for not living in it, are we not? I mean, as a believer, if you have received the Prince of Peace as your Savior, then we're without excuse. Remember back when um, we were looking at the word mighty as the description and name of Jesus, mighty God. Well, it's talking about mighty. I used the passage where Jesus was with his disciples, and he said, let's go across the sea, the lake, right to the other side, and they get in the boat, and... They get about halfway out into the lake, and a violent storm came up. Do you remember that? And Jesus was asleep in the front of the boat. He was at absolute peace. The disciples, however, some of which were professional fishermen, are losing their ever-loving mind. By the way, they're freaking out. This thing's going down. Jesus, this is crazy. They wake him up, and they say, man, don't you care? We're about to drown. We're, we're going to die. Now, when, when, when I was looking at that, we were looking at the fact that Jesus is mighty. If you remember when they woke him up, Jesus kind of got up and said, oh, be still. And it did. And their response was, who is this? Like even the weather listens to this guy, right? Uh, that's what we were looking at there. He is mighty. He has authority over all things. But today I want us to see this from that same passage. Jesus was asleep in that boat. Jesus was at peace. They were anything but that. Now, they were all there together. They were all in the same boat, they were all on the same lake, see if you will. They were all in the midst of the exact same storm. See, they were facing the same circumstance, but they had different perspectives. And see, the thing is, you don't worry about things you have authority over, do you? Jesus had authority over that storm. He wasn't worried about that. That wasn't going to take him out. It didn't threaten him at all, right? We don't worry about things we have authority over. Listen, I don't worry about my dog biting me right? I've got some authority over that thing. You know what I'm saying? I've trained that dog, right? I, I, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about my dog biting me. I'm worried about your dog biting me. I don't have authority over your dog. I don't know what that thing's going to do, right? We worry about things we don't have authority over. Things we do, it doesn't bother us. 
Well, Jesus' peace over all things comes by imparting then his perspective of things to us. There was a pastor, Pastor George Morrison, tell you a little bit about him. In the late 1800s, he was an intelligent man so much so that he assisted in the completion of the Oxford English Dictionary. That's a sharp dude. Your pastor ain't going to be uh, asked to be on that committee. I promise you that, right? Uh, but, that, but that George Morrison was, right? A sharp guy. Once he quoted a colleague who wrote this, peace is the possession of adequate resources. And I thought, man, that's good, isn't it? A peace is when you have the adequate resources for your situation. Let me flesh it out for us this way. Uh, there's a difference in being lost and being lost with a GPS. Amen? If I'm out in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and it's dark, and I don't know where I am, and I'm all turned around, I'm miles away from anybody, it's a different scenario if I've got this in my hand, right? Like if I can make a phone call and have somebody rescue me, or I can get on a map and see where I'm, it's totally different. Now, you take that away, and there's some anxiety, right? Like it's totally different. Hey, back in the day before we had GPSs, you remember if you were headed downtown Nashville, and you don't usually go there, and you take a wrong turn, there's some anxiety. I'm going to miss my appointment. I don't know where I am. Am I going to be on the wrong side of town? Am I going to, you know, what is this street? I don't know where to go. But nowadays, we just whip this little bad boy out and say, get me there, all right? And it's going to say, you idiot, do a U-turn, right? It's going, to, it's, it's going to get you to where you need to go. It's completely different. How about this? Uh, getting bills in the mail. No one likes to get a bill. But it's different when you get bills and don't have a job versus I got bills, but I have a job to pay for them. Amen? It's different. I, I have the adequate resources that I need to pay for those bills. It's completely different. Let's hit them all, all right, uh, uh, students. All right? There is always anxiety with a test. Amen? Right? When the teacher says, hey, we are going to have a test today. Like you get all worked up and anxiety and, oh, my goodness. But then when they say this, and it's going to be open book, Right? I, hey, even seminary, right? Like, oh, please tell me I can. Totally different. Same test, same answers. What's the difference? I got the book with the answers I can go to. Right? It takes all of it away. Peace is the possession of adequate resources. Friends, peace is not the absence of, of conflict. That's the way we've got to, you know, I can't have anything going wrong if I'm moving to peace. It's not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of, of burdens or persecution or, or filling the blanks for you. Peace is simply having the perspective in them, having the right perspective, knowing that you have an adequate resource in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And friends, that's where our peace comes from. Paul said this to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, you know it well, verses 6 through 9. He said this, don't worry about anything. They had a lot to worry about. There was a lot of persecution ringing out in the church. They had all kinds of things going on. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, let me pause for a second. He says this, listen, just give it over. Whatever is your burden, whatever it is you're carrying, whatever it is that causes that anxiety, whatever it is that you're worried about, give it to Jesus. Give it to His authority. He said, present it to God and let go. He's got the authority, and you've got the resource. 
give it to him. And in doing so, he says, well, we'll receive then his perspective. See, when we go to God with thanksgiving, we present our request to him, not only are we taking that off of ourselves and laying it on the feet, at the feet of Christ, but we're also in that time of prayer. We're, we're gaining God's perspective on our situation, aren't we? Even when we go with, uh, listen, I, I've got that terminal diagnosis. God, they've told me that there's nothing they can do, but, but I'm praying to you. And God, I, I'm believing in you because you are mighty. God, I know that you can take this thing away even though the doctors say you can. I know that you can. But I also know that I'm going to spend eternity with you. Man, you're talking about peace. Whether that happens now because of this thing that I'm facing or, or 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now, my heart's at peace because my eternity is secure. And he says, listen, that surpasses all understanding. What's he talking about that the world sees? The world doesn't get it. It didn't get it 2,000 years ago. It doesn't understand it today. It surpasses worldly wisdom. See, we're called to live in this world, but with a peace that transcends this world. They don't get it. And you have in your possession as a believer the peace and the authority of Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Here's what he says. He says, listen, when we dwell on the things of God, his peace will dwell in us. When we dwell on the right things, when we don't buy into this outrage one that, that, that's out there for us today that, that everybody wants us to buy into, when we don't go there and instead dwell on the things of God, when we dwell on Him, His peace will dwell in us. Friends, it's so easy. Hey, listen, in your home, in your workplace, in your relationship, to, to, to just look at the negative, look at the bad things, look at, look at what's thrown out there at you and just, just live there. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't take that poison. Don't, don't do it. Instead, consider the good things that you have. Don't just think about your sickness. Think of the, the years of health you've had. Don't, don't just think about that one bad relationship. Think about all the great ones you have right now. In, in our homes and our families, the same way parents with our children. Yes, we're called to raise them, and sometimes that, 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 that parenting is difficult, and sometimes we, we have to correct them. But we don't aspirate our children. We, 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 we just focus on, here's the things that you're doing wrong. Here's the things that I don't like, exasperating them. We, we, we don't just stay there, but we also remind them of the things that are good, the, the things that they bring into our family culture. It happens in churches. You know, a church can be doing so many things right, and then some people just get all tore up about uh, something that, that doesn't even matter to the kingdom. You know, we want to get worked up about this. We, uh, for, forget the fact that the, the, the Word of God is being taught in the classrooms. That don't matter right now. I'm mad about something else. Hey, forget about the fact that we're preaching the word of God from the Bible. That don't matter. I'm mad about something else. Hey, forget about the fact that we're seeing baptisms on most sides. That doesn't matter. You know, it's this other little thing that I'm worked up. And we'll forget about all the things that we're doing together for the kingdom to focus on that one little thing that eternally doesn't matter. We do it in so many areas of our life. He says, listen, focus on the good things. Focus on the 
the godly things. And when we dwell there, His peace will dwell in us. Remember, Isaiah said that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He didn't say He's the Prince of Prosperity. He didn't say He's the Prince of, of Perfect Health. He didn't say these things. Why? Because Jesus would remind us in John chapter 14 and verse 27, it was a time when he was preparing his disciples for what was about to take place. Uh, he knew what he was about to face, and he knew what they were going to face following his crucifixion. And knowing all this, he said this in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. Here's what Jesus is saying. Boys, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly for me. It's going to get ugly for you. But here's the good news. Listen, if your peace doesn't come from this world, then this world can't take your peace from you. If you don't get your peace from this world, this world can't take it from you. But if your peace comes from Christ, from the Prince of Peace, then it can never take it away. It can't have your peace. Now, if it comes from the world, it can be taken away at the drop of a hat. In fact, he went on a couple chapters later, John 16, 33. This was just before Jesus would be arrested. And he said this, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous, for I have conquered the world. Jesus was about to be arrested falsely accused, beaten to a pulp, and crucified. He knew all that was about to take place. And yet he told them, I want you to understand, I've conquered the world. Now, I've shared this verse a lot. I use it a lot. It's a go-to verse for me. I don't know that I've ever explained why it's so special to, uh, to me or our family. Um, but when my oldest son received a critical uh, injury playing high school football, it was first uh, in the trauma unit and all that at Vanderbilt and there were people gathered, my goodness, just a sea of people, coaches, players, uh, uh, teachers, uh, church was there in droves, friends, family, just, it was just a sea of people. But I remember that there was, there was a, a group of, of his, some of his closest friends from church and school, and they had kind of gathered in a, in a corner area uh, there of the waiting room and uh, just trying to find how does, you know, these 16-year-olds, how do they make sense? of what's just taking place. I couldn't do it. How, how could they possibly do it? And so they're, they're just trying to wrap, wrap their mind about what's happening right now. And so they, they took out a Bible. And I don't remember, I don't know, was, they grabbed their phone. Was, was, did they have a Bible with them? Was there a Gideon Bible on the table? I don't know, but they, they got a Bible. And here's what they did. They said, well, let's, let's look at the book of John. And as they opened up John, and then one of them said, you know, Baylor was 16, let's go to chapter 16. And so another one said his number, his jersey was 33. Let's, let's go there. And that's what took them to John 16, 33. And in the midst of all that, they read this. In this world, you'll have suffering. Be courageous. I have conquered this world. And again, Jesus was going to be beaten. He was going to be crucified. But he was also going to be resurrected. The disciples were going to see life at its worst, as bad as it could possibly get for Jesus, as bad as it could possibly get for them, and yet in the face of all that, eventually, they would see his resurrection. 
You know, when we face some of the most difficult times in life as believers, be courageous. Because Jesus has conquered them all. And he says, because of that, you can have peace. Friend, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, Jesus is the Prince of Peace for us. But remember what we said early on in what Isaiah said, but that is a gift from the Father. And this gift, like any other, is something that you have to choose to receive. It's there. And in fact, for all, it's available to all. But you have to choose to receive it. I pray you would not close out 2023 without that confidence. Not confidence in you, not confidence in what you've done, not confidence that, that you're no longer sinning. Confidence what Jesus did for you, a sinner, on the cross. Let's close out here, and I'll read real fast, I promise, Terry. Let's go to the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, all right? Luke chapter 2, by the way, all the passages are in the church app this morning. You can open that there. Familiar passage, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah of the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Now, I know we often think of that at Christmas time, peace on earth. And a lot of, time, a lot of the other translations, goodwill to men, right? This idea that, that peace came in Jesus. But then we look at our world and we say, well, the world doesn't seem very peaceful. Can I get an amen? My life doesn't seem very peaceful. Any others out there, right? Where is this peace? That the, if Jesus came to be peace, where is it? But we forget what it says, peace on earth to people he favors. See, God favors those who receive his gift of Jesus Christ. Those who receive that gift, yeah, they have the favor of God. They then have the peace of God. Later in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Jesus said this about that peace. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. But rather division. If you look at Matthew's account of this, it says that Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. What does a sword do? A sword divides. Jesus said, I... I didn't come for peace. I, listen, me coming will bring division. Isaiah, who, who wrote these words 700 years before Jesus would ever be born, uh, the, the angels who, who made that proclamation at Advent, they were all exclaiming the purpose of Jesus' coming to bring peace. But Jesus himself, he was talking about the result of his coming. What would actually take place Jesus is the prince of peace. But friends, con conflict is often the price of peace. And Jesus said, listen, there's going to be homes where one receives the gift and the other doesn't. 
And because of that, especially in the culture they were in, my goodness, within a Jewish home, who, who that was their primary ministry at that moment, it would divide that house. To be a follower of Jesus means you would have to deny your family or your family would deny you lest they all got saved. And they didn't. And Jesus understood that. He said, listen, there is going to be division, but that's the price of peace. A few chapters later, Luke chapter 19 then, I'm going to try to read this, and I promise I'm closing out. Jesus puts this on display so much better. It, it was the triumphal entry that we often go to around the Easter season. Luke chapter 19, beginning of verse 35, he said this. Then they brought it to Jesus, talking about the colt they went to get. And after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Then he came near the path down the Mount of Olives. And the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him this, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And I love this. He, he answered in this way, I tell you, if they were to be silent, the stones would cry out. Verse 41, as he approached the city, and he saw it, he wept for it, saying this, if you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus, as he was entering, and as they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, he looked down at that city of lostness, and he knew what was about to take place. He knew that even those closest to him would deny him. The, the horse in that day, the, the, the steed, the stallion was a symbol of war, but a colt, as Jesus wrote on it, that was a symbol of peace. Jesus came to bring peace, but he was rejected. And friends, even today, even in this room, you have to decide, will you receive his peace? Or will you also reject it? It's our final message of 2023. And here's my appeal to you to do just this, to, to place the government of your life on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And friends, if you will, for you, he will be wonderful. For you, he, he will be counselor. For you, he will be mighty. For you, he will be God. He will be eternal, and He will be Father, and He will be your Prince of Peace. Will you receive it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for a wonderful year, not without trial, not without conflict. Thank you for the promise of peace in the face of all of it. God, those are so much we could say as we close out this year, this season. Lord, I, I simply pray if there's a person here today, they're not at peace. Even if their life is there, their spirit is not. Because they don't have that relationship with the Son, the gift of God, the peace of salvation that transcends every circumstance of life. God, I pray right now they would just ask you, to save them, to receive that peace. 
for those who have that, God, I, I pray that we would, as Paul said, dwell there, to think only of the good things, to, to be together in, in unity and mission, to share and show the good news of Jesus with everyone and everywhere. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not going anywhere yet. It ain't over, folks. You know, one of the, the top New Year's resolutions in America each and every year, it's always one of two categories, fitness or finance, right? Ain't nobody in here that's not falling in one of them two, right? Fitness or finance. And typically, one of the top uh, resolutions is get out of debt. Amen? We want to get out of debt. Northside has carried debt since September of 1990. That was two months before we were ever constituted as a church. In July of 2003, we had $3.9 million in debt. In January of 2017, we had $2.26 million in debt, just seven years ago. Since then, we've had no capital campaign, no major capital campaign whatsoever. We have cash flowed more than $2 million in renovations, but through your sacrifice and gifts, stewardship of the finance committee, the deacons, the board of directors, and the staff of your church over the years, today we are debt-free. Amen. 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 Would everyone please stand for just a moment? Everybody, I don't hear everybody. Just please stand for just a moment. Yeah, I have to be honest. I thought about getting different charter members to, to come up or, or to stand in place or different committee members or uh, certain uh, groups of people. But as I begin to think about that, I realize you know, not, no one offering has been more important than any other in the history of this church. Not one person, not one pastor, but one faithful God working through one church body together. And I want to thank each and every person here, everyone, everyone, for being a part of that. All of us, together, God working through us. Here's a, here's a few other little notes. In 2023, our giving to missions will exceed over $300,000 easily. Just weeks ago, you gave more than $26,000 to a, uh, a blessings offering to support more than 32 mission partners of this church locally and literally around the globe. And on our Christmas Eve service a week ago today, you gave more than $10,000 to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering in addition. All of that and as your pastor. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, you know, many who helped us on this long journey to debt freedom, they're, they're no longer with us. Some have moved away. Um, many are now in heaven. And for them, their work is done. But friends, ours is not. Our work is not. In fact, our greatest mistake as, as a church would be to somehow make this some kind of golden calf, some kind of idol that, hey, we did that, and let's just, let's just dwell there. That would be one of the greatest mistakes this church has or will ever make. And in my prayer, in my study for, for today's time and this special announcement, 
I was reminded of some of Jesus' final words on the cross before he would breathe his last and give up his spirit. In John chapter 19 and verse 30, after he had received the sour wine, Jesus said this, It is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That word for finished there, the Greek word tetelestai, it's the, the, the root word teleo, right? And the word teleo means to complete or finish something, to accomplish it. But it's far more than that. Really, it means to be perfected. And it was most commonly used in, in accounting for merchants. And like today, you may stamp something paid in full, right? That red, that's the one red stamp you like to see, right? Uh, it's great. I recommend it on all things, cars, houses, everything, right? Paid in full. That's what teleo meant. And Jesus cried that out from the cross. Why? Because he left nothing undone. He finished what he came to do. He defeated sin. But notice he said, it is finished. That is finished. The mission was not. He was not. In fact, the work of the church was just beginning. And his work would continue through the church and even through us today. The church's mission is to share and show the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone, every people around the world and to every generation. And our task, the one perhaps behind us, the debt freedom, that task to tell us time. Brother, it is finished. Amen? It's gone. But our mission, our mission now is going to be fueled like it never has been before. That we can give missionally like we never have before. Like we can, so we can do things. We can plant churches. We can sponsor uh, missionaries and church planters like never before as a church. John, Jesus said in John 14, 12, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Now you've got to understand, Jesus sharing in that day, Greater works than these? He was talking to the people that were there when he fed thousands from a lunchbox. Greater than these? He was talking to the same people that saw him walk on water. Greater than these? He was talking to people that were at the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus said, come out, and the three-day-old stinking dead man came out. Greater than these? How in the world are we going to do greater things than this? I mean, can you imagine if we had a business meeting followed by, you got to have, if you're going to have a, a, a business meeting, you got to have a meal to get the people there, right? So we always have the meal in advance. Imagine if y'all showed up to eat and I said, all right, who's got the lunchbox? One little box came up. I mean, Baptist would, I, I'd, I'd be gone as pastor, right? We're going to share that. But I took that lunchbox and I said, Lord bless it. it fed everybody and people took lunchboxes of leftovers home. You'd come back just for the leftovers, amen? Can you imagine if we did that? Are we going to do greater things than this? What is he talking about? Jesus was talking about greater in scope. Greater in scope, greater in multiplication, not magnitude. You know, it's believed that Jesus, no one knows for sure, but doing, looking at the geography and, and everything we have from Scripture, he covered somewhere around... 21,000, he and the, the disciples during his ministry time, around 21,000 square miles. That's a lot of work. That's about half the size of the state of Tennessee, to put that in perspective for us. 
And yet after all of that, and performing all these miracles, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, when the faithful Christians gathered, there were 120. And yet today, today we have missionaries literally around the globe. And there are more than 2 billion Christians today. And that's what Jesus said, you're going to do even greater things. And I believe that for us as a church. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that even greater things than anything we've accomplished, even than the announcement I just shared, we face even greater, greater missional opportunities ahead as a church. In fact, in April, I'm going to be visiting Bogota, Colombia, and South America, and we're working on a partnership that we're going to be developing. You're going to be hearing more about that in 2024, and you're going to have the opportunity to, to participate there as well. So many other opportunities that we have before us. And so, Northside, let's use this now as our catalyst to do more than we've ever done for the kingdom. We're just going to irritate Satan to death moving forward. Amen? Jesus cried out on that cross, not of despair, not of defeat. It was a cry of victory. He was not a victim. He was a victor on the cross. Friends, I, I pray this victory that we just faced together, that we overcame, this victory will propel us into even greater victories in our future. Let's pray once again. Father, we celebrate now. God, not what we have done, but God, what you have done through us. God, we're excited. We're excited for what the future brings to know that you're going to do even greater things through us as we share and show your good news to our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.